the security of our country is at stake. So we look forward to seeing them in court. But you were just in court, you dumb Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM, Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM, WLRI Newswatch, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota in the Twin Cities. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. At least five days a week on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Among other fine affiliates, blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. You may feel otherwise. I leave that to you. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Coming up shortly, uh, while opponents of Donald Trump's Muslim travel ban had a huge, a huge, if temporary anyway, uh, victory out of the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals last night, uh, which we will talk about in a moment, that fight over that executive order has taken away some of the much-needed attention, frankly, from another one of Trump's orders uh, that has already begun to result in the deportation of undocumented aliens here in these United States. Not the bad hombres, as Trump described them, uh, but uh, that said, uh, he'll be he's uh, he said he'd be focusing on, you know, actual nonviolent, hardworking uh, uh, people that they would be uh, they would be allowed to stay. But no, it turns out in the bargain, he's begun to break up families, including American citizens who have been in this country for decades So what is believed to have been uh, the first such deportation under Trump's new order, uh, a heartbreaking one, frankly, uh, since signing that uh, order on uh, January 25, that uh, first deportation happened on Thursday of this past week. We will speak momentarily to one young woman, an American citizen whose family is now similarly threatened by the new administration's newly extremist deportation policies. But first, uh, we'll start with some of the good news. As usual, we'll try to start with the good news and let everything go downhill from there. Right, Des? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're, this is where we left off on, on our last show, as the news had just broken at the very end of the broadcast uh, that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had unanimously rejected Trump's uh, emergency motion to lift a lower court stay 
on what many describe with no small amount of justification as Trump's Muslim ban, since, you know, that's what he called it. In any event, uh, this was in response uh, to the challenge to the executive order brought by the states of Washington and Minnesota and in a no uncertain terms unanimous decision by a three-judge panel on the, sec- uh, on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, including judges appointed by Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama, and, yes, George W. Bush. The court slammed Trump's argument that the, uh, that the president has complete, unfettered, and unreviewable rights to issue any, co- any orders he likes concerning immigration. The federal court panel could not have been clearer, frankly, in their 29-page ruling that while deference is granted to the broad, uh, to the very broad presidential executive powers that exist when it comes to issues of immigration, the courts absolutely do have the right to review such orders to assure that they meet both constitutional and statutory muster. Uh, the court's unsigned opinion, uh, which means all three of them were on board and uh, uh, wanted to essentially issue it together as a whole. Uh, The opinion said the government, in this case the Trump Department of Justice, does not merely argue that courts owe substantial deference to the immigration and national security policy determinations of the political branches, an uncontroversial principle that is well grounded in uh, in our jurisprudence. Instead, the government has taken the position that the president's decision about immigration policy, particularly when motivated by national security concerns, are unreviewable by the courts, even if those actions potentially contravene constitutional rights and protections. That, the court said, runs contrary to the fundamental structure of our constitutional democracy. You think? Jeez. There is no precedent, they write, to support this claimed unreviewability, which runs contrary to the fundamental structure of our constitutional democracy. Although our jurisprudence has long counseled deference to the political branches on matters of immigration and national security, neither the Supreme Court nor our court here at the Ninth Circuit has ever held that courts lack the authority to review executive actions in those arenas for compliance with the Constitution. To the contrary, the Supreme Court has repeatedly and explicitly rejected the notion that the political branches have unreviewable authority over immigration or are not subject to the Constitution when policymaking in that context. Now, of course, you would think you would think the Republicans, uh, even Donald's Donald Trump and his uh, his attorneys, you would think that they would remember that yes, the courts do have a say when it comes to immigration policy, especially executive orders by the president. Because it was not all that long ago that the courts struck down parts of President Obama's immigration orders concerning Do- President Obama. Remember him? Oh yeah. I mean, this is uh, that just, was some was, years ago, wasn't it? They they struck down. It was, it was apparently last century, I guess. That's what it feels like. Uh, they had the, the court, and 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 this ruling uh, uh, by the courts was not all that long ago either. Striking down uh, Obama's orders concerning uh, DACA, regarding undocumented family members of children who were brought here by their undocumented uh, uh, parents at a young age. I mean, did they just forget how they celebrated the court's rulings on that when they when they smacked down Obama? No, on that they, decision? they were just hoping you forgot that everybody else forgot or were just too stupid to remember. 
Moreover, in this case, uh, the government apparently offered no evidence whatsoever to support the national security emergency that they seem to be claiming in court that Donald Trump has been saying over and over again. And that they have been saying, you know, this is a national security issue to support this order, to ban all immigration and and legal visa holders and refugees and even permanent U.S. residents, those with a green card from these seven majority Muslim countries, none of which were home to any of those, uh, you know, who committed crimes or attempted to commit terror attacks in the U.S. since and including 9-11. No evidence whatsoever. The government, uh, the judges said, the government has pointed to no evidence that any alien from any of the countries named in the order has perpetrated a terrorist attack in the United States. Rather than present evidence to explain the need for the executive order, the government has taken the position that we must not review its decision at all. I mean, that's how, you know, dictators think. That's how tyrannies uh, roll. Where, you know, they declare the the government, the the court cannot review any uh, decision made by the government. In other words, the appeals court actually said that the government had provided no evidence, none, that the security of the nation was actually at stake. And yet they still said that doesn't matter. Yes, we say it's at stake. You can't review it. There's nothing you can do about it. On the one hand, this could come across as incompetence. But I think we should be considering that this on a much deeper and more disturbing level that they meant this, that they think that this is actually unreviewable, that uh, presidents can just be outside the checks and balances of the Constitution. Oh, and I- that can open up a whole wide range of abuses under the national security excuse. Oh, we can't tell you it's national security, it's intelligence, it's secret, but you have to let us do it anyway, no matter what it is, because it's the president. I think they absolutely thought this. I think they think that our uh, our system is what Fox News tells them it has been for so many years, as they are just so brain-addled and watching Fox News and thinking, oh, why did the president do that? Why doesn't he do this? Why did... If I was president, I would do this immediately. And they think they actually can. They think that all you need is the power of the presidency to do what whatever you want. Um, also of note here, uh, the Ninth Circuit uh, judges say that Donald Trump's sweeping talk of a Muslim ban during the campaign, since the campaign, uh, even, you know, really since uh, putting this uh, this ban in order, this executive order, that that, yes, can be used as evidence that this order is uh, a, a discrimination. You'll recall, for example, Greg Sargent points this out at Washington Post, uh, the Plumline blog, that Trump's initial call for a total and complete shutdown, that's a quote, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Remember that statement? He made that Uh, I think it was late uh, 2015, uh, around Christmas. That's right. 2015, uh, after the San Bernardino shootings. And by Trump's own admission, that call for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States, by his own admission, that became the basis for this order. And... If it was a Muslim ban, as he originally said, then that would be an unconstitutional violation of the Establishment Clause uh, of the Constitution, prohibiting the government from using religious tests and so forth. 
This he said in in his own. So remember, there was a lot of controversy about this call for a Muslim ban during the campaign. And then he came out at some point and gave a, a, a special statement on national security and on immigration. And he said in his own words, I'll quote here from his own words from that uh, from that speech in uh, his major terror speech in, in June 2016, when he was talking about the original Muslim ban and the idea of a ban on immigration from select countries. That's what it became. He said in his own words, I called for a ban after San Bernardino, and was met with great scorn and anger, but now many are saying I was right to do so. No, they weren't. Anyway, I called for a ban after San, uh, after San Bernardino. The ban will be lifted when we as a nation are in a position to properly and perfectly screen those people coming into our country. When I am elected, I will suspend immigration from areas of the world where there is a proven history of terrorism. So that was the ban. That was what he instituted when he became president. That was the suspension of immigration from areas of the world where there's a proven history of terrorism. That was what he said in his own words that he called for after after San Bernardino. And, of course, you've also got Trump's own, uh, you know, dumbass friends like uh, Rudy Giuliani, who can't seem to help but you know run their mouth to the media to brag about all sorts of things and so yes he admitted i think it was on fox news was it uh giuliani said that yes. trump had asked him to put together a muslim ban and figure out some way to make it look legal and all constitutional like i think that's called pretext appear to find some pretext in order to be able to do this without it appearing illegal so, you know, this order was in trouble from the beginning. And mind you, all that the three judge uh, panel did is for now uh, keep the stay in place. They believe there will be irreparable harm to all sorts of Americans if the executive order is allowed to uh, to go through right now, at least until there is a trial on the actual merits of the order. None of this was a trial on the actual merits of the order. It was just determining whether these uh, whether these folks would would face irreparable harm if the executive order was allowed to go forward While, before yes. we could determine if it was constitutional or not. Jennifer Rubin writing over at Washington Post. And by the way, Jennifer Rubin is a buffoon. She has she's a been, right wing nut. Yeah, she's a right wing nut. Uh, she has been in bed with the Republicans and uh, Mitt Romney and all of those guys for years and years. Uh, but. Even she thinks that Donald Trump is a clown and has gone too far. She wrote last night after the uh, after the order came in, the Ninth Circuit deals a blow to the imperial and incompetent president. That's the headline. And she writes. The White House seemed to believe that issuing an executive order was no different than putting out a campaign white paper. The court, to its credit, reminded the administration that presidents have ample but not unlimited power. Constitutional restraints still apply to the president, even on national security. A more rational president, Rubin writes, who actually believed national security was at risk, would heed the court's direction, issue a narrower ban that would pass constitutional muster and roll that out with proper coordination. But Trump must win and can never accept error. He'll persist, he says, to the Supreme Court 
or perhaps to an on-bank review. Remember, he could also go to the uh, full Ninth Circuit. This was just a three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit. He could, you know, ask for a new opinion by the entire uh, Ninth Circuit court if he wanted to. If he truly believes that we are in peril, Rubin writes, it is he who is endangering the country by choosing to leave the country with no travel ban whatsoever. And, of course, with regard to real risks, radicalized Americans, lone wolves, etc., the president is doing nothing, thereby leaving the country no safer than it was under his predecessor, observes Rubin. She writes, this is a humiliating defeat for the White House, revealing just how amateurish the president and his advisors are. The frightful part is that if they cannot handle a simple executive order, what makes anyone think they can handle far more difficult challenges? Boy, you, you know, you never thought you'd hear me say it, but I agree with Jennifer Rubin. <laughs> Uh, Trump, uh, after the decision came in, tweeted in all caps, so you know he means it, see you in court, after the ruling that took place in court. Presumably he's talking about the Supreme Court, where he is likely to lose. Right now it's at best a 4-4 split on the Supreme Court because the Republicans would not allow anyone to be seated on their stolen U.S. Supreme Court. So in the event that they go straight to the Supreme Court at this point, uh, if the Supreme Court ties, then it reverts to the decision of the lower court, which has found squarely against Donald Trump. But either way, either way, whether it goes to the Supreme Court or not, again, this is only about the the uh, temporary restraining order. So the irony here, if that's the right word, perhaps the idiocy is a better word, is that the merits of the case, the actual trial on the merits of this executive order will now be heard back in the courtroom of the U.S. District Judge James Robart, the other George W. Bush uh, appointee, uh, who Trump had called a, quote, so-called judge after the original restraining order was issued. That same judge is now going to hear the case, the one that Trump has been out insulting for the past week. Well played, Donald. Smart thinking, good thinking. Now, we have late word as we go to air here today, and this has changed in the last five or ten minutes about two or three different times. Late word that Trump may be figuring all of this out and may be figuring out that rather than going to the Supreme Court where he will lose or even back to uh, to Robart, whom he called the so-called judge, that it may just be better to start over. To, or to take a mulligan. He's a golfer, to put it in uh, uh, golfer's terms. Take a mulligan. He gets a do-over because this is his first civics lesson. So now he understands, oh, okay, so I get to do it again. So take a mulligan, issue a new, more narrowly tailored order uh, that doesn't have all of the problems of the other one. Well, good luck with that. I think it's still going to have problems uh, no matter what. But that makes more sense than going to the Supreme Court and losing again. Because, you know, Donald Trump is a loser, weak, sad, low energy. That's what I was thinking. Doesn't have the stamina for this job. In any event, uh, both AP and CNN uh, were reporting that uh, Trump was going to do that as we go to air. But now, uh, also right before air, Washington Post says, no, that's not going to happen. He may go to the Supreme Court after all. So nobody really knows where, where this goes, at least at this point, at least by the time we go to air. 
Um, so, but uh, Trump had said that he'll issue a brand new order, but maybe not. So we don't know. Uh, in the meantime, there are, however, uh, several others of his uh, executive orders, such as the uh, national immigration laws that Julie Ebenstein tried to note last week on this program. She said, hey, there is a couple of other orders concerning immigration that people need to pay attention to because they're getting much less coverage and deserve much more attention than they are getting right now. Specifically, uh, one of them, Trump's executive order to direct the government to uh, start building a wall with Mexico and the other order that changes the government's priorities on which undocumented immigrants are to be deported immediately. That story, along with an American citizen directly affected by Trump's order, will join us uh, next. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, as the uh, as the nation's eyes were on the court fight over Trump's immigrant Muslim ban at the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals this week, a Phoenix woman in the country illegally who was considered a low priority for deportation by the Obama administration was taken into custody in Phoenix, Arizona this week by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, as reported by L.A. Times' uh, Nigel Durara. Guadalupe Garcia de Reos, 35 years old, had lived in this country since she was 14 years old. She was arrested in 2008 during a workplace raid that was ordered by then-Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio at the, uh, at the Gulfland Sunsplash Amusement Park in Mesa, Arizona. I've been there. Uh, and she was convicted of felony identity theft for possessing false papers, according to the L.A. Times. But in fact, she didn't actually steal anybody's identity. She had a false Social Security number that she had apparently made up so that she could work. And, uh, and it seems, uh, you know, pay Social Security and Medicare taxes that she would never be able to get back in the bargain. Her conviction, in fact, was for criminal impersonation, a sixth-degree felony. After that 2008 arrest, she was detained for six months by ICE before being released. Guadalupe is a married mother of two. She continued to live in Arizona and checked in with ICE every six months thereafter, as per the terms of her release. On her scheduled meeting this past Wednesday morning, she arrived at the ICE uh, field office in Phoenix, surrounded by supporters. An immigration attorney later told the crowd outside that Garcia de Reos had been arrested. Uh, Carlos Garcia, director of the immigrant advocacy group Puente, Arizona, said we all knew something could be different this time with this new administration. She went in with the lawyer and didn't come out. 
That was pretty much all there was, he said. On Wednesday night, protesters blocked the path of a van carrying Garcia de Reos while chanting, Not one more. They were among what appeared to be dozens of protesters gathered at the field office in support. ICE officials confirmed the detention Wednesday night, stating that Ms. Garcia de Reos is currently be- being detained by ICE based on a removal order issued by the Department of Justice's Executive Office for Immigration Review. According to her supporters, Garcia de Reos's detention the Times notes, is an early indication of the reach of an executive order by President Trump on January 25, which expanded deportation priorities to include any immigrants in the country illegally who had been convicted of any criminal offense, regardless of its severity. Previous orders by President Obama had prioritized only violent or repeat offenders or drug traffickers and gang members and so forth. Puente, Arizona had filed a stay-of-removal request with ICE late on Wednesday night. That was denied. They had argued that the original arrest and charge against Garcia de Reos was unconstitutional and should not be grounds for removal. On Thursday, Guadalupe was deported back to Mexico, where she has not lived for more than two decades since coming here with her parents as a child. Um, She was not allowed to pack a suitcase or bring any of her other belongings. She was just sent away. In 2016, she said that her ICE officer had told her that when she returned for her 2017 check-in, her case would likely be dropped because she was not a priority. She has a nonviolent felony conviction, and she arrived in the country when she was 14 years old. She had entered four months earlier. Had she entered four months earlier, uh, CNN notes, Uh, As a 13-year-old, she would have been eligible for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program, the Obama-era immigration policy that lets certain undocumented immigrants who entered the uh, country as minors defer deportation action. Her lawyer and, and local activists warned that she could be deported under President Trump's executive order. A local church had offered uh, a Guadalupe sanctuary, but she had declined that offer, went to the appointment anyway. She says to make a point, she says, I know uh, I don't regret it because I know I did this so that more families could see what's in store, what could happen so they could know what they could risk. I am not what he says, she added, referring to Donald Trump's claims that undocumented immigrants are dangerous criminals. I simply am a mother who fights for her children, who fights to give them the best. Her 14-year-old daughter also spoke at a news conference yesterday. To me, it's sad seeing what this world has come to, seeing that this world has so much hate in it, especially since the the, the new president that we have now. Seeing my mom in that van, it was unexplainable. It was really, um, it was really heart dropping. My mom's a really kind person. She would never hurt anyone. Everybody loves her. She treat everybody as if they were family. Um, she has a really big heart, and um, I think it's unfair that they just took her away just because she was working in order to support us. Um, and no one. No one should ever go through the pain of having their mom taken away from them or the pain of going or the pain of packing um, her suitcase. No one should go no one should go through their mother's clothes 
seeing, oh, is she is she gonna need this? Oh, is she gonna need that? No one should be packing their, their mother's suitcase. And um, I'm here and I'm gonna keep on fighting. I'm gonna keep on fighting for my mom and for the other families that are going through the same thing because this is unfair and it's it's really sad and um i honestly don't have any words because it's it's just sad to see what this world has come to that was the 14 year old american-born daughter of guadalupe garcia de reos um she and her uh, sister uh, will presumably now be uh, left behind here in uh, these United States with uh, with their father as their mother is no longer allowed in the country. Today, Mexico warned its citizens living in the United States on Friday to take precautions and remain in contact with consular officer uh, officials uh, since that deportation of uh, Guadalupe. The case involving Mrs. Garcia de Reos illustrates a new reality for the Mexican community living in the United States, facing the most severe implementation of immigration control measures, Mexico's foreign ministry said today. The consulates, uh, quote, have intensified their work of protecting fellow nationals, foreseeing more severe immigration measures to be implemented by the authorities of this country and possible violations to constitutional precepts during such operations and problems with due process, according to the statement. The Mexican Foreign Ministry uh, said it is important that fellow nationals familiarize themselves with the different scenarios that might enc- they might encounter and know where they can go to receive new information and know all of their rights. Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton said her deportation is an example of how President Trump's mass deportation plan makes our country less safe. He vowed to not cooperate with the executive order. He says rather than tracking down violent criminals and drug dealers, ICE is spending its energy deporting a woman with two American children who has lived here for more than two decades and poses a threat to nobody. He said in a statement, What happened last night to Guadalupe Garcia de Reos is a a travesty. She has been peacefully living and working in the valley for more than two decades and by all accounts was building a life and contributing to our community. She has now been torn apart from her family. That's Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton. Her sister, a U.S. resident, is currently petitioning for permanent residency for Guadalupe. She is one of... Some 11 million undocumented immigrants now at risk of deportation under the Trump administration's new executive orders. At this point, she'll need to wait at least 10 years to try to come back because of a visa backlog. Her lawyer said legally there are not a lot of options to come back. The protesters attempting to block that ICE van transporting Guadalupe to her deportation on Wednesday night were all arrested and later uh, released. I believe all of them were later released. One of them who says her own mother and her family now faces a similar situation to Guadalupe's is Maria Castro. She's a 23-year-old community organizer with People United for Justice, a group which led the successful Bazta Arpaio campaign Last year that finally succeeded in voting out the controversial right wing anti immigration uh, uh, sheriff in Maricopa County, Joe Arpaio, a big Trump supporter. That was last November in Phoenix. 
uh, a mixed blessing, I suspect, for the folks in uh, in Phoenix. Uh, Maria, as I said, was arrested last night during the attempt to block that ice van or uh, two nights ago that was attempting to block the ice van that was transporting Guadalupe towards her deportation. She joins us now. Maria Castro, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, so did you go with uh, Guadalupe to her uh, hearing initially, or did you just come after you ha- had heard that she had been denied? So I had been there in the morning. Um, I was there when she, um, the priest from her church and her attorney, walked into the gates of ice. Um, and it was it was devastating. Um, I remember um, her daughter and her son, you know, like reaching out for them and seeing their faces as, as they saw their mother walking into that facility. Uh, wh- why did you and, and the others go with her originally? Was there reason to believe that she would be deported this time after, because she had faithfully showed up, you know, every six months for the past, uh, what, about six or eight years at this point? Yeah, we didn't, we weren't sure what to expect. Um, the, with the new administration um, and the executive orders that came down from a 45 um, really have startled our community, and we weren't sure how the implementation was going to manifest here locally. Um, and it, it seems like from this past week that Car- uh, Director Carter um, is going to enforce Trump's um, new executive order fully. And so this means we have a lot of work ahead of us. Uh, I'll say. Uh, did, did you, by the way, did you know her or her uh, her family prior to uh, prior to this week, Guadalupe's family? I had heard of the raid cases. I was familiar with the situation. Not, I didn't know the family personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't meet them until last week mm-hmm. um, when when they came to one of the community meetings up Puente. Now, you yourself, you're an American citizen, right? You were born here? Yes. But uh, you say, uh, you, you tell me that you now uh, face a, a similar situation. How so? Um, my mother is undocumented. Um, she... Um, was deported a couple of years ago, and so that would put, make her a priority. I don't know what that means. She currently doesn't have anything pending, um, but if she were to get, I don't know, caught up in some way, shape, or form, whether she jaywalks and law enforcement um, harasses her about it, or maybe, I don't know, anything could happen, you know, um, and she any any cut type of interaction with law enforcement could lead to her deportation 12 hours later. You say that she was deported uh, some years ago. Was she, de- <laughs> was she deported and she came back, or was she deported and not officially uh, uh, forced to leave the country? No, she um, she was deported and she found her way back to us. I was 12 years old. My little sister was in kindergarten, and um, we, she, we needed our mom back with us, and she made it happen. And so she got back. So now she could be at risk because she was already ordered uh, deported. When when I asked you to come on, uh, Maria, I, I asked, uh, you know, if you wanted to use your full name. And, and you said, uh, yes, you did want to. Do you have some concerns that uh, appearing in the media, uh, becoming a protester yourself, uh, being arrested and, and so forth, that that could in and of itself lead to uh, trouble for your mother? I have faith in my community and in the resistance and the work that we do. I feel that the more I lean on my community, the more people I have to support me, the better. Um, I feel like it, we we were learning. Um, we were relearning on how to defend ourselves. You know, being in the state of Arizona, um, 
it, it has been very, very difficult with the with the sheriff, with the state legislature, and with the inactions of our politicians, like our mayor. You know, he gives a lot of opportunistic speeches, but he has done absolutely nothing. Um, he says that he's not going to sign a new contract with the administration. But you know what? The Phoenix Police Department is one of the biggest deportation forces in the nation. He doesn't have to sign a contract because he's already doing it. He doesn't have to sign a contract because we don't need 287G because we already have SB 1070. And so his words go into the wind. They mean absolutely nothing. What we need in our community is for him to open up Phoenix as a sanctuary. And I feel that our community can can have these conversations with him and the city council and make it so that we do have it so that my mother doesn't have to worry about anything. I'm, I'm very um, optimistic about the organizing that we're doing. And, and you're talking there about uh, Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton, who had some uh, pretty strong words uh, about the deportation of Guadalupe Garcia de Reos, but you say, uh, don't listen to the words, uh, watch what he does, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, per capita, the, the Phoenix Police Department murders more, more of its citizens than any other city. It's deporting more of its citizens um, at, the, at higher rates than the majority of the cities in the country. And so he has allowed this rogue agency to attack our communities, both black and brown. Um, and in this era of a Trump regime, we cannot sit around and give opportunistic speeches. We need to have people who are going to make bold and brave actions. What the mayor needs to do is challenge SB 1070. SB 1070 is essentially a 287G contract. It enables racial profiling. It enables and increases contact with the police department. And we need to continue to fight against that. We can't have our communities be over-policed. And he is propagating that. And if his speeches aren't doing anything but confusing and adding more anxiety to our communities. Uh, can you uh, can you tell me a little bit about um, your mother when she came to this country under under what conditions I guess you and and your uh, the rest of your uh, siblings were born here if I understand correctly but, uh, but why did your mother uh, come here how long ago did she originally come here and, and under what conditions she came here 24 years ago um, and she came because she was in love um, <laughs> she was gonna marry my father um, and that didn't end up happening but um, she she had me here, mm-hmm. and so she was, she came in legally. Um, her sister became very ill. Um, she went and took care of her in Mexico for a few weeks, and when she tried to come back, um, she had a, a different visa. So after nine eleven happened, uh, the visas the visas changed, mm-hmm. and instead of the border patrol agent, instead of um, helping her and explaining to her, hey, you need a different visa. What he did was he ripped it and told her to go back to Mexico. And so um, it was very difficult for us, um, for me in particular, like having to be a sibling and a mother to a, to a five-year-old and not knowing what to do, not knowing how to explain to her. And I remember, I mean, we, we're citizens like, like Lupita's children, and so we have the access and the ability to be able to go visit our mother. But what you can't change and what I, I can't take back is remembering those weekends of having to drive all the way down to Mexico and then the ride back and my little sister crying the whole way and not being able to to eat, put her at ease, not being able to explain to her why there are people who think it is okay to separate families, to destroy people's lives, and to to be 
openly racist, and I think that is that is something that is particularly troubling. Um, like we've seen it here in the state of Arizona, but everyone woke up in Arizona on January twentieth this year, mm. and we've been fighting deportations on different levels in different spaces. And under this administration, our tools have to change. Um, for us, for me, what we need to do as a community and community organizers is we need to start to come together. We can, we can no longer just sit and be in our homes and watch TV and share things on Facebook. We need to come outside, join community meetings, be part of defense committees so that we are actively doing essentially like deportation fire drills, mm. you know, so that our families are prepared when these things happen. I have to have a conversation with my mother on, like, what's going to happen with my younger sister, you know? If my mother is deported again, I need to know what, what steps I need to take, who is going to take care of her, um, and so on and so forth. So our communities need to be ready, and not only to prevent um, interactions with law enforcement, but once they do happen, how do we not let them violate our basic human rights? And in those spaces... Worse comes to worse. If we have another scenario like Lupita, what are we going to do to stop these deportations? Because the reason why Lupita was deported um, a few nights ago was because the mayor continues to create a confusion in our neighborhood. He, the, our, our people actually think that he is, he is with us, and he's not. He continues to use, like, there is no need to arrest us. What they could have done that night, they could have released Lupita. They had that option. They, there was no need for us to be arrested. They made that choice to not stand with us. The mayor could have in, could have made phone calls. He could have done something, well, and uh, not just say, "Oh well, this happened." Uh, uh, Lupita is, of course, uh, who I've been calling Guadalupe. The um, the, the arrest was it uh, actually the Phoenix police who arrested you in that protest trying to stop that ICE van, or was it ICE themselves who arrested you? And, and how were you treated? How long were you detained uh, before you were released? Um, so we were arrested by the Phoenix Police Department. Um, I think it was almost like, about, it was about 20 hours from like the point they arrested us to the point where we were released. Hmm. And so it was Phoenix Police, so you're saying the, the Mayor Greg Stanton did not need to order that police or could have ordered those uh, those police to stand down if he was actually on your side. Yeah. Um, you've been working, uh, I know, with the immigrant community in Phoenix for some time uh, with the People United for Justice group and, and their successful campaign to oust Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the Bazta Arpaio campaign. I suppose it was a very conflicting feeling for you last November when Arpaio lost, but Donald Trump won. Yeah, I, I think I remember um, having a conversation with fellow organizers on trying to figure out what to do um, because we had been fighting and the the fight against our pile was longer than just this electoral campaign. It was a 10-year fight mm-hmm. of marches and protests and boycotts and every imaginable way of resistance we have employed it against our pile and that enabled, enabled us to bring forth um, Basta Arpaio to this stage um, where we had the momentum um, to be able to defeat him. Um, and I want to be clear, Paul Penzone did not win that election. We defeated Arpaio. <laughs> and that's how that election happened. Um, 
And I remember us having this conversation of, it looks like Trump is going to be the next president, and we and we we completely won by like ten ten or more points, right at mm-hmm. that point um, against Arpaio. Um, but what is essential for us, and what was essential for us in that moment, was for us to savor the ten years of struggle that had gone in to making sure that our bull Connor, right? Like he he was our bull Connor. Um, your your bull Connor, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, it was essential for us to make sure that we celebrated that moment, and we marched down to his headquarters and put a giant eviction notice on his door. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. And so that was a very very powerful moment, and it was a necessary moment in order for us to be able to successfully fight in this era because having our pile as sheriff today would have been catastrophic under a Trump presidency. And hmm. all of that work um, is is very, um, it, it's been very helpful. Uh, can, can you tell me, uh, Maria, I've got just another minute or two here, can, can you give me a sense of the mood there among the community? I, I mean, I know that... Uh, I, you know, I, I am not at threat, neither is my family that I know of, of being deported. And yet it's it's pretty creepy around here these days, uh, not just since January 20, but really, you know, at least since uh, since election night. Um, can, can you tell me the difference in the mood? Are uh, are, are you guys uh, resolute? Are you feeling stronger or are you feeling terrified or are you feeling all of the above at this point? I think right now what we're doing is we're in hyper gear in identifying different ways of fighting back. Um, we need to figure out what are the best ways of not only fighting back in snippets, but how do we do it in a sustained and national and even global level, right? What happened that night outside of ICE in, here in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. needs to happen in L.A. It needs to happen in New York City in North Dakota, in North Carolina, in Florida, wherever it is that you are, this needs to continue to happen because there are 8 million people that are at risk. 8 million people. That might be the person that's picking your food. That might be the person who is giving you your flu shot. That might be the person who you see at the grocery store every day. And I want to say that, you know, people keep saying, oh, Lupita's only crime was, was working. Right now, under the Trump presidency, that that goes out the window because he can redefine what criminal means. He can redefine who, what, what, what is legal and what is not. That should not be our moral compass. Our moral compass should be driven by the love in our community, and it should be driven by our human rights. And that's that's where we are and i and i should add that uh, when you say that uh, eight million people are now at risk not just eight million uh as you know maria uh the eight million plus all of their family members uh you know like yourself your your mother may be at risk but that means uh you know you and your sister and so forth the rest of your family members are also at risk to be uh, affected by this and 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 have your families torn up uh very quickly before we go maria what what can those of us Sympathetic to what is now going on out there in in Phoenix and other similar places. Uh, what what can we now do to help folks like yourself uh, at uh, at People United for Justice and so forth? Yeah, I think it is vital that everyone in their own cities 
call their mayors and making sure that they are putting pressure on their mayors to make sure that they are a sanctuary city, not just in words, but in actions, um, and getting together with other community organizations, whether that's People Unite for Justice here in the state of Arizona, um, or if it's Puente here also, um, but it could be another, it could be Chirla in L.A., um, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. but yes, getting together with other community organizations and pushing for sanctuary and severing uh, ICE contracts, whatever whatever it takes in order to minimize the contact um, with law enforcement, that's what we need to do. Maria Castro of PeopleUnitedForJustice.org. Um, you can uh, find and follow them on Twitter uh, at AZUnitedJustice. Uh, Maria, good luck uh, down there uh, with, with your fight. I know this is not going to be easy uh, for, for you and your family and for a whole bunch of people. So I, I thank you for putting your uh, yourself, your body on the line there, uh, uh, trying to uh, help out Lupita and, um, and uh, keep up this good fight. And please stay in touch as this all moves forward. Thank you for having me. That's Maria Castro. She's the 23-year-old community organizer with PeopleUnitedForJustice.org. Okay, a quick break, and we're back with uh, what what the U.S. Senate was doing in the middle of the night last night, and maybe, if time, some more good news for racists. All that's ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, yeah, in the middle of the night, uh, the the vote was at 2.30 a.m. is when it came in uh, to me. I was saw it on my iphone at 2 30 a.m this is how this is an idea of how proud they were of this vote the senate has confirmed congressman tom price of georgia for his uh, health and human services post as the secretary uh, I, I think al franken this clip we didn't get to play the other day from betsy devos i i think he, what he has to say here uh, properly responds to betsy devos to tom price to jeff sessions go ahead If you cannot bring yourself to vote against this nominee, is there anyone President Trump could nominate for any position that you could vote against? And if we cannot set party loyalty aside long enough to perform the essential duty of vetting the president's nominees, what are we even doing here? Good question. Let's do our job. 
for the sake of our children, let's do our job. Senator Al Franken uh, talking about the confirmation of Betsy DeVos, uh, which went over on uh, party lines. There were actually there were a couple of Republicans who voted against her in a rare uh, instance of Republicans voting against uh, one of Trump's nominees here. That had to be a tie. It was a tie. 50-50 vote broken by the vice president for the first time in history. Breaking, uh, breaking, the, breaking the tie on a cabinet appointee uh, vote. <clears throat> but it, it applies to all of this. There, there is nobody, there is nothing that the Republicans will vote against, it seems, on these, uh, on these nominees, no matter how abhorrent they are in all sorts of different ways. In the case of Tom Price, draining the swamp? Not so much. Uh, Price, as a congressman from Georgia, among other concerns, reportedly invested some $300,000 into health care related stocks at a time that he was working on legislation that would help those very same companies. Insider stock trading, essentially, uh, which Democrats and other critics uh, believe w- may well be in violation of the Stock Act of I think it was 2012 that they put in place to stop that sort of thing. But the Republicans aren't concerned. They don't want to drain the swamp. Yeah, and doesn't aren't the Republicans the ones responsible for launching an investigation into whether or not he violated the Stock Act? So if they don't, I don't do it, did they? Did they launch no, an investigation? No, I'm saying they're the ones with the authority and the decision be. to yeah. do it. And since they're in charge, they don't yeah, have they, to. No, they don't care. They're willing to give him a promotion. Uh, Price had also received special private pricing from at least one healthcare company, and uh, whose stocks ended up ballooning thereafter. Uh, lucky, but lucky for him that he wasn't a Democrat because they, you know, they tend to get held accountable by Republicans for that sort of thing. So it was a uh, 52-47 vote along party lines in the U.S. Senate at 2.30 a.m. this morning uh, for Tom Price, who will be the next uh, Health and Human Services secretary who has said he wants to destroy pretty much every aspect of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. By the way, that's the same thing. Affordable Care Act and Obamacare for 30 percent of you Americans who apparently don't know those are the same thing. Those are the same thing. Price wants to do away with that and uh, and uh, wants to cut Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security and all the rest. He's now the uh, new uh, Health and Human Services Secretary. And remember, Donald Trump was against cutting Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. That's what he said. So, of course, that's what he said over and over again. So, of course, you put someone in charge of HHS who wants to cut all of the above. Whose only goal has been to cut all of the above for years now. Yep. All right. We've been talking about uh, Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions over the past week, who has uh, now been confirmed as well as the next U.S. Attorney General, the top law enforcement officer in the nation that despite his prosecution of civil rights heroes on on false voter fraud charges back when he was a U.S. attorney back in the 80s and his other uh, racially insensitive is that nice way? racially insensitive comments and his and actions over the years. Now, I have not personally called Jeff Sessions uh, out as a racist. I, I don't think I've called him out and out a racist myself. Uh, but racists sure seem to be doing so. <laughs> They're thrilled about the uh, about the new attorney general. Great news, they write. 
White nationalists cheered the confirmation of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, claiming that, uh, quote, we are one step closer to solidifying Trump's authoritarian dictatorship. And, quote, we finally have an AG who will defend decent American people rather than thugs and predicting that Sessions, quote, will truly make our country great and target, quote, domestic terrorist groups like Black Lives Matter. Just a few samples here. Uh, (laughs) This uh, Andrew Anglin from the Daily Stormer, which is the neo-Nazi website, uh, he celebrated Sessions' confirmation, contrasted him to the African-American former attorneys general Loretta Lynch and Eric Holder by writing, they were constantly standing up to Barack like, Barack, maybe you been too hard on dem whites. Adding that we are one step closer to solidifying Trump's authoritarian dictatorship. David Duke, notorious anti-Semite and white nationalist, uh, former Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard. He was ecstatic, apparently, over Sessions' confirmation. He sent a series of tweets praising Sessions and attacking his African-American predecessors as well. Thank God, after eight horrible years of black radical Marxists, we finally have an AG who will uh, defend decent American people rather than thugs, tweeted David Duke. Law and order, welcome back, he puts with a big picture of Jeff Sessions. After eight years of Holder and Lynch radicalism and attorney general defending the law abiding, uh, defending the law abiding people rather than criminals, thugs and illegals. From David Duke, uh, Ramsey Paul, who is another white nationalist blogger, uh, says great news. Hopefully he can start targeting domestic terrorist groups such as Black Lives Matter. (laughs) So uh, you get the idea. Uh, white nationalists are delighted. Racists are absolutely delighted that Rep- Jeff Sessions. Oh yeah, and Republicans is, uh, themselves must be charge. so delighted yep. that they have so proud that they've clinched the racist white nationalist neo-Nazi vote. Other than that, Jeff Sessions not racist at all. Oh brother, and on we go. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen, to my guest today Maria Castro of PeopleUnitedForJustice.org, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime you like at Bradblog.com. My thanks as ever to those of you who help us stay on your public airwaves by stopping by Bradblog.com/donate. And if you'd like to, drop me some email. I've been hearing from a lot of you lately. My email address, bradcast at bradblog.com. I'm also on the Facebooks and the Twitters where you can find, follow, harass me, and share the show far and wide. Pretty please? You can find me there at the Brad Blog. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 